Welcome back as we head into Hour 3 and as you are heading into your weekend, I guess as we're all heading into our weekend, it is a delight to bring back uh, to the show and in studio this time around, George Kaloff. He is the managing partner at the Resolute Group and the president of Data Orbital Consulting. He is, I think, one of the finest political consultants in the country. We're delighted to have him uh, here in Arizona and as a friend of the show. George, welcome back. Good to see you, man. Always good to be here with you, Seth, especially to close out the week. Yeah, that's nice. You were Thank you for saying that. You were abroad recently and came back. And uh, it, it, I, I remember hearing Dennis Prager recently say on a trip back to the United States from abroad that uh, it was the first time in a long time that he felt he was leaving. Uh, I think he was in Hungary in this particular case, and maybe it matters, which I guess it does matter which country you're coming back from. But he said he remembered it was the first time he felt in his whatever 70 years of life or travel that he was leaving a more free country for a less one when he came back. But it's not true of most places. Whatever our problems, whatever our faults, it's still something special to come back to the good old USA, isn't it? 100 percent. 100 percent. My family's been here since 1996 and and love uh, the country that I was born in and that I was visiting, uh, which is Lebanon. But there is there is something beyond special with the United States of America. How are they doing over there? That's a country that crops up in the news in a big way. I mean, I suppose if you live there, it's it's not to be tautological, but if you live there, there's always some kind something going on. But it seems like in the West, at least, Lebanon kind of kind of kind of makes headlines every every decade or so for a couple of years. How how are things going over there? How is Lebanon? How stable? How stabilized is it? How yeah. how pacific is it these days? It is one of the most beautiful places I've ever had a chance to visit and also one of the most broken places that I've ever had a chance to visit. So the country is candidly not in a great place economically, politically, it's a little bit, to use a technical phrase, it's a little bit of a, quote, hot mess. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's, uh, I would sort of sum it up with this. There is uh, probably and arguably more wasted potential in Lebanon and with the Lebanese people than maybe anywhere else in the world with, uh, with as much as had come out of it and as much genius as has come out of it that has gone abroad um, and, uh, and totally being squandered because of, uh, frankly, a lot of what we try to avoid here in the United States of America, which is corruption and ineffective leadership and just very anti-freedom um, people that are uh, in charge. What about ethnic and religious division? Big time. I mean, frankly, the religious divisions is one of the is one of the bigger uh, is one of the bigger things between um, you know Christians and Muslims. But frankly, not even just between those two, but within mm-hmm. each religious sect, there's two major political parties on the on the Christian side that are at odds. There's two major political parties on the on the Muslim side between Sunni and Shiite that are at odds. So it's a very it's a very precarious situation, arguably uh, about as complicated, if not more, than the dynamic in Syria or, or in Iraq uh, and other places like that. In some senses, because there's even though divisions, there more there, there's 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 less division, I suppose, or there's more unity. We went, you may recall, about four years or so ago through this big debate in this country about whether nationalism was a good thing or not, and it had a negative connotation that had been that had been infused into our minds, I guess, a lot from the European experience of the 1930s and 1940s. But in and of itself, a lot of us were trying to say nationalism in and of itself is not necessarily a bad thing. And when you think about a lot of these broken countries, and I don't know if it's fair to call Lebanon broken, but if you think about a lot of these countries that uh, have a lot of division or civil war, the answer is actually nationalism. It is the problem of not one agreed upon view of the direction of the nation, not one agreed upon 
uh, view of the ethos and the culture of the nation, right? Nationalism would solve the problem in Lebanon is yes. what I guess I'm trying yes, to say. Yes, yeah. And on the other side of it, not to belabor this point, but nationalism um, also in this sense is not a dirty word. The national identity and national pride of being Lebanese is frankly the the thing that has held us as a threat uh, as together at a minimum, even though it's very precarious since the civil war is this identity in be, uh, in being Lebanese and why nationalism again to a lot of people that we would hang out with Seth is not what uh, the left makes it right. seem when they attach other things like white nationalism to right. it. It's, it's pride in country, it's pride in culture and pride in heritage um, that that, that frankly, like I said, holds countries like Lebanon together that even places like Iraq don't have because right. they have actually distinct ethnic subgroups that are different, which is not the case in a country like Lebanon. I, I don't know how we got here. I'm, I'm hoping this is OK. We just, I just I said you were traveling. But while we're on it, that prefix white national seems to me the prefix to almost every word is the problem, uh, whether it's social justice, which is a corruption of justice, white nationalism. And, and for that matter, uh, the uh, Muslim nationalism or what we can sometimes refer to in Lebanon or or other parts of the Middle East, what others, Christopher Hitchens, has called Islamo-fascism. I mean, there's a lot of different variants on that theme. Uh, but whenever you put a prefix in front of it, you are already breaking the notion of nationalism. You are already creating a separation. It's like the difference between truth and my truth, right? 100%. Yeah. 100%. All right. Well, sorry. I, I mean, I just I, oh, I don't know how we got there. <laughs> I didn't mean, to, <laughs> didn't mean to do a little uh, a, a little geopolitics with you on that front. The, a lot political I want to do uh, with you. Kind of an interesting, kind of an interesting past two weeks audience knows I've been consumed, maybe overly so, with the announcements uh, that took place for the presidency, uh, first Nikki Haley, and then Vivek Ramaswamy, hopefully I'm getting it right, Vivek Ramaswamy, Um, and then Tim Scott, of course, was in Iowa looking like he may be the next out of the gate. Is there is there an advantage to coming out this early? Uh, Do you think some of these are coming out too early? Um, Do you think some of these... Folks may have delusions of grandeur that they're nowhere in anyone's mind ever going to be president. And if so, why do they announce for presidency? Yeah. So I think that if you'd asked me six years ago, which is I feel like the response that we start off with with so many of these questions, if you'd asked me before yes, right. Donald Trump yeah. or asked me before six years ago, I would have said it's absolutely too early. But the difference is that the the considered front runner on the Republican side already announced a month or two ago, which yeah. is Donald Trump, right? And so actually more than that, he announced right before the election. Mm-hmm. So it's in that sense, it's not it's not too early. Look, we have seen in history before where the front runner was Jeb Bush or Scott Walker or a Newt Gingrich right. in prior Thompson, years or whoever, that, right? Giuliani, yeah. Yeah. You go back and they're not the ones that end up uh, doing it or look at how surgeant Bernie Sanders was uh, or Hillary Clinton over Obama. Howard Dean, my gosh. Right. right? Yeah. So many of them. And then they end up faltering. It's a long process. Our presidential elections are very complicated because it's not just you run nationally and it's a first past the post and you have a runoff. It's very complicated. And each state's diversity is important. That's why the Democrats, you see them playing around with their schedule to protect uh, Joe Biden. Um, look, to me, this is this is the main point, uh, and it's something that we have spent a lot of time talking about when we're together on this show, Seth, and you spend a lot of time talking about, is the American people and the Republican Party are screaming for leadership mm-hmm. and screaming for vision and screaming for someone they can be proud to rally around, and not just someone who is going to have the right votes, because those are all important, but screaming for people that that can articulate what's in their heart and can win over the majority of Americans that are needed because you can't win an election in the United States of America 
with 40% of the people. You have to win it with a majority of, of individuals or at least a majority of majority of the states from an electoral college perspective. And so I think that individuals that don't have a chance of winning per se and not to throw any of them under the bus because crazier things have happened because people said in 16 Donald Trump had no chance of winning. We don't know. Um, they run because they want to throw their hat in the ring because they have seen phenomenon like we have all seen in the last three cycles where people that were a traditional, totally out of left field, that came out of nowhere and won the hearts and minds of Americans, which is why I started with my first point, because the American people and the Arizona and the people of Arizona and around the country, we are yearning for leaders that can move our hearts, speak to our minds, consistently be with our issues and can feel with us and can empathize with us. What do you think is the baseline Donald Trump vote that he will never lose? Does he go into, and maybe there isn't one, but does he go into every state or most states with uh, no matter what he's going to get 20% or is that overstated or overvalued at this stage of the game? No, I think he does go into most states and frankly, it's probably more than 20%. Yeah. It's probably somewhere closer to actually 30% okay. because there is a plurality or a, or a contingency that is very strongly there because again, there's a bucket of people. And again, it's, it's, I mean, look, there's so many things that he, you know, that he did and you and I have talked about this often that, that there's a tremendous alignment, but there's also a tone and tenor that do upset some people. Other people are not as bothered by it. And so he does start off with a with a basis point again. But I think that for the first time, we are seeing a little bit of a fracturing that we had not seen before. A lot of that led by Ron DeSantis. But I think in general, if you add up all the non-Trump votes in some of the, in a lot of these polls, even though it's very early, it's more dominant than it has been in a uh, in a while. Which is more the 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 not Trump or the, the non-Trump. The, that's the correct. Trump. I have a kind of a I was kind of interested in a piece Byron York wrote about this about a week ago because the conventional wisdom seems to be that the more people that enter the race, the more it favors Donald Trump because it obviously divides you know divides div- divides their votes. And I'm and the thesis I'm wondering about is is that actually true? If you think about it, as the primaries go on and people drop out. Anyone that's dropping out is obviously, first and foremost, a non-Trump vote. It is a vote against Donald Trump. Maybe someone like Ron DeSantis doesn't suffer from more people coming in if he's an automatic, uh, if he's the automatic second second place finisher right now, or at least at this stage. Can we pick up on that in a minute? Let's do it. My point being that as people drop out, the not-Trump vote will inure to someone like Ron DeSantis, and it maybe catches itself up to that built-in thirty or so percent that's already established and hardened for Donald. Trump. Do more people help or hurt Trump? And is that a fixed uh, is that a fixed answer? We'll ask George Kaloff when we come right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. It's a delight to have George Kaloff in studio with me. He is the head of the Resolute Group as well as Data Orbital uh, Consulting and uh, Political uh, Consulting and uh, Management. George, uh, the more people the conventional wisdom was that the more people that get into the Republican race, the more it actually helps Donald Trump because it divides their numbers against a plurality that he goes into with a maybe a 30 percent advantage. But there is another line of thinking that as people will drop out, they are by definition anti-Trump or non-Trump voters, that that may actually those votes may actually inure as the process goes on against Donald Trump. They may go to the credit and to the packet of Ron DeSantis, let us say. Your thought. Yeah, I or mean, hurt or help. Look, it, it is a decently complicated um, question because it also, like I said, depends on the state. Mm-hmm. What happens in a state like Iowa, mm-hmm. which it looks like on our side is still going to lead, is different than what's going to happen in a state like uh, Nevada mm-hmm. for us, mm-hmm. potentially, right? So we saw, and if people remember, 
Uh, and, we, and we have to be careful because 2016 is also a very different time with very different dynamics with a very different perception of Donald Trump. There's a lot that's happened in these last six years, as everyone knows. But remember, when he came in that surprising finish, people expected that to be the end of it and let's go move on. And it wasn't. Mm-hmm. And so it emboldened um, what I would perce- what I would perceive it as the base of people that he had that were very fervent and strong, that he was just new and different, grew instantly and overnight because they were like, oh, my God, now he could win and people want to back winners. Mm-hmm. Now, he may have the inverse here. If he starts to show some weakness, if people start to not, if he doesn't blow people out of the water in the first couple states, it could actually have an inverse perspective, oh, yeah. right, oh. that could affect it. And now getting into, well, does it hurt to or help to have more? It depends on what the more is because, look – uh, a bunch of non-MAGA, quote-unquote, and I know that's a very broad buzzword that we're using, um, that probably hurts. Now, is there going to be someone who is MAGA-aligned? DeSantis is probably the, the closest that, that picks up and, and, and fractures with it. Yes. Also, we know presidentials is about who has money. So people can announce today they could be out before the first primary, a la Scott Walker. He right. didn't even make it to the primary. Right. Uh, similar similar dynamics. And so, um, you know, I don't know. It's It's complicated. The other part of it is what do current elected officials do they break with him? Because mm-hmm. those are the people that right now feel like they have a lot to lose because we've seen what happened in our in our primaries, that he still is a very strong presence in the primary, save for the one exception, incumbents that he challenged like Kemp oh, and right. others right. that were able to withstand that scrutiny. But if you were in an open seat challenge like we saw a lot in Arizona, the Trump aligned ended up prevailing. So it's a, it's a pretty complicated question that's going to take some time to unpack um, I will say it unequivocally, though, I have never seen as many people at a minimum willing and open to additional options, even those that say, look, I like Donald Trump, but if I can get the same things with a little bit of a different style that I'd already sort of were, was uncomfortable with, I'll take it. And I have not heard that as much now as I had in the last number of years. What's interesting on that score, if I might, is when I hear perhaps other shows have these conversations uh, and sometimes the defense of – or the argument for Ron DeSantis, who is probably – yes, I agree with you, the most closely MAGA aligned. The argument for Ron DeSantis is that Trump has angered so many and too many in the journalist. He has turned – in the journalistic community and in the commentary. He has he has poisoned those wells um, too too toxically, and people are right to point out they they will do that to any Republican uh, that if someone thinks that they're going to be easier on Ron DeSantis or Nikki Haley than they were on Donald Trump. The history of our party and the history of the commentary is that's just not true. They will be as hard against any Republican as possible. But what I do think is there is a pro or favorable toward Trump contingent that is looking at Ron DeSantis, not because they think Ron DeSantis won't earn the same ire, but that they're just tired of the being on the constant defend, in the constant position of feeling they have to defend Donald Trump. I don't know if that makes sense, but it seems that they're just ready to have a new series of being on the defensives about rather than that being on the defensive about Donald Trump, if that makes sense. 100%. And I'll be very candid and blunt with this assessment. There's a school of thought that ran through the party you know, not as loud now, really strongly through 16, which is, well, if in some scenarios, if we just have a moderate Republican, the Democrats are going to stand down. Never happen. And name me one scenario where that's the case. Donald Trump was the reincarnation of whatever. Look at all the horrible things they talked about Senator McCain or Romney for president or Romney. The Republicans, they they tell us we should nominate. Right. Right. Yeah. Now, again, there are distinct differences. There are certain areas that they didn't criticize them in that they've criticized Trump or vice versa. Fine. That doesn't mean that they're going to like them anymore, that they're going to all of a sudden a bunch of Democrats are going to stand down. But the difference is what you articulated, which is are we going to spend time talking about policies? Are we going to defend actions and implications and tone and tenor and what that looks like? 
um, and the individuals that we need to win over, which is our of our rank and file suburban voters across the country, whether you're in suburban Philly or suburban Phoenix or suburban Tampa Bay. Um, those individuals need to feel like they can rally around someone. And I was looking at a map in Florida. Ron DeSantis won Hillsborough, which is the county where Tampa Bay is in Hillsborough and Pinellas by 10 percent. I remember during the distinctly during the Romney election in 2012, we were like, man, if we come within 5% of it, we still were losing it. If we come within 2 or 3 or 4 or 5%. If we lose by 5, we're in good We're okay. Yeah, yeah. If we lose Miami-Dade right. by 30, we're okay. Right. Ron DeSantis won Miami-Dade. Ron DeSantis won Hillsborough. Again, as an example. So he was able to rally around those people that otherwise are not – they're not MAGA themselves. And again, this is why we always say it's not the policy positions of strength and the conservative policy positions that lost. There is something to say about – yeah, likability and the whole quote, would you have a beer with that person and could you talk with them? You know, that is a big factor of it. And there was just a, a certain level of anxiousness and anxiety. And exhaustion, re- frankly. And exhaustion revolving around the election yeah. and election conversation. Again, not that it's not an important conversation, right. but the way that some folks were having it was just turning off other people. And again, and I always try to preach this to folks, whether you like that or don't like that, you have to contend with realities. Yeah. There's certain people that don't align with you on name it X. So now does that mean that if you take X position, can you win? Or if you can't win, what do you going to do about it? Right. We need to be sober minded about it. I think we're also living in a sense of la la land with some of our folks. It's like, well, I want to have this position, but I'm still going to have reap all the same benefits. Right. The saying you want to have your cake and eat it, too. Yeah. We left no cake, no eating. (laughs) anything. (laughs) Is, Is Ron DeSantis handling the Trump barbs? Well, is is this the right strategy effectively and for the most part ignoring them? I think so for right now at a minimum. Now, I will say we also saw in the primary that when Jeb and others rose above or ignored them, it didn't go super well. But again, there's a certain endearment that these base voters have with people like DeSantis. And while I, you see it on Twitter, we won't name names. There's some people that are like already talking trash about DeSantis. I hear more from everyday Americans that are like, man, okay, it was one thing for him to give a hard time to this person or that person. Well, we didn't really like those people. Yeah, that's a fair point. But right. we really like right. Ron DeSantis, right. and he right. went there. Right. We cheered when he went after Jeb because Jeb really wasn't our guy ever. That It's a big deal yeah. and a big difference. A big or when deal. he went after Winsome Sears, who's right. a kind, right. kind right. woman in Virginia right. who is a <laughs> What did she ever do to anyone? African-American right. yeah. Christian Republican yeah. woman, and he went after her as yeah. an example. Or Yunkin, or yeah. go on down yeah, the yeah, list. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, good. The last thing on this, and we'll pick it up in the next segment as we're going to break, the last thing on this I'll set up for you is something interesting that's going on in these presidential announcements. Tim Scott was in Iowa basically teasing that he's going to announce. And as I said, uh, Vivek Ramaswamy and Nikki Haley. Um, Joe Biden likes to say this isn't your father's Republican Party. I think he's wrong in many decisive respects, but maybe it's – our grandfathers and great-grandfathers and great-great-grandfathers Republican Party increasingly, it's a pretty diverse crowd, and it's driving the left nuts. Whenever they go after it, they get egg on their face. Those hand grenades blow up in their face when they go after Nikki Haley because of her race or her age or her sex or her gender or her ethnicity, uh, sex, gender, or her ethnicity. Uh, they're going to have the same problem with Vivek Ramaswamy. They're going to have that problem with Tim Scott. I should throw Larry Elder's name in there. He's teasing an announcement, believe it or not. And so it's it's kind of interesting to see that that's not only the Republican Party of today, but the things they're talking about. They're going after the woke stuff. They're going after the 1619 mm-hmm. stuff. They're going after the hate America stuff. I'd love your thoughts on that when we come back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. George Kaloff is our guest. He is the head of the Resolute Group. 
and uh, Data Orbital uh, Consulting as well, managing partner at uh, Resolute and uh, president at Data Orbital here based in uh, Phoenix. George, uh, Larry Elder, Tim Scott, Nikki Haley, Vivek Ramaswamy. Um, it's, it's, it's not the party the Democrats think it is. And the things they're talking about, um, the things they talk about primarily, frankly, are the divisions of our country by race uh, that the left has foisted upon us. Kind of interesting, kind of, kind of, kind of, in some respects, uh, refreshing. Um, and, you know, uh, I, 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 I think it's going to drive the Democrats nuts because I think every time they go after these people because they are purportedly, quote unquote, traitors to their to their people, it blows up in their face. I, I say anything you want about any part yeah. of this. So I'm not going to I'm not going to say all, but there are many in the Democratic Party that believe that they are owed yeah. right. a voting block right. because of the color of their skin. Right. Hard stop. So if you're Middle Eastern, like me, from Lebanon, as we talked about, if you're Hispanic, if you're black, if you're whatever, you are owed a vote to the Democratic Party because they're the ones standing by you. They cannot fathom that there would be a difference. And so Tim Scott, in particular, eggs them on and says, look, you can call me whatever you want. It's because you are scared of what I represent, that the beliefs and values and the faith that I hold allow me to break with this party that once represented some of those ideals that now has come a long way from them. And that's a big deal. It is taking so many things off the table. It's going to also make it nasty. And again, this is the other thing we have to keep in mind. The American people are tired and they're tired, not just of division and and tough words. No, but they're tired of things that they're like, what the heck are you guys talking about? We have actual problems to solve. And you guys are yelling at each other about whatever it is. And the far right does it. The far left does it. This is an opportunity, I believe, to highlight and showcase the far left making personal attacks that are totally unnecessary against individuals like Tim Scott, Nikki Haley, and others that are going to be completely out of left field and that will cause voters in suburbia, which we keep talking about, that are, are critical voters to win back. And they're going to be like, yeah, I don't know that I, I want that because that doesn't represent what I feel, not because it's mean and whatever. I'm not trying to be soft, but because that's not in keeping with our American tradition, American values. We can have strong disagreements. I have so many disagreements with so many Democrats on so many things, but we have to do it in a certain way. Yeah, that's the bottom line. Yeah, that that that's I think it's I think that's right. And I think what these candidates are tapping into, if you read their announcement speeches or their stump speeches, is they're tapping into the exhaustion with that race game. They're tapping into I don't know if there's a lot of polling on this or not, but they're tapping into at least their sense that the American people are tired of 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 being told that that they're racists when they know that they're not. Yeah. Yeah. They're racist or they're bigots or, again, just blanket statements. You're a person of faith. You believe this. You look like that. This is this is how your entire class of people are going to be uh, talked about. And again, that's not America. No. I mean, America is America because of the diversity. It allows people like the Caliphs or like whoever, Nikki Haley's background, Tim Scott's name. background, Seth Leibson's background. <laughs> it allows our families to come to the United we States of America. We didn't come on the Mayflower. <laughs> yeah, no. It allows us to come to the United States of America. It allows us to be able to, with our work and our work ethic, rely on a country and rely on a people and a community that's going to build us up, unlike where so many of us and our families came from. And that's not the case in everywhere. And uh, the beauty of America and the strength that America provides is that opportunity. And again, when you also have an entire party who is completely dissing and trashing, look, there are people that have struggles with America. It's not like everyone, not everything is hunky-dory in the United States of America. We have some serious things we need to contend with. But in general, on par, people are choosing to be here. Mm-hmm. More people are choosing to be here than are just here by birthright. Right. 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 And that's important. Yep. 
right? You vote with your feet. You choose with your feet. It's like going to a certain type of store. You go there because you like it and whatever it is. And this is even more critical than that. People are choosing to move here and to sacrifice everything to come to the U.S. because of the opportunity it provides. And we are the party that talks about that, that symbolizes that. And the left has turned into the party that wants to tear that down and tear us down for it. It's kind of an interesting irony, isn't it? We have an illegal immigration problem because of what Republicans know about this country or conservatives or middle of the rotors who lean or tilt conservative. We have an illegal immigration problem in this country because we know America is exceptional. We know America's great. Adam Boss said every, he, he called it the Gates test. Every country has gates. Uh, when the gates go up, which way do people run? When the gates, gates go down, which, people, which way do people run? And even when our gates are down, they're running here. No one's running out. hundred percent. Yeah. China doesn't have an immigration problem, let us say. Uh, when we come back, um, thoughts on the divide in the Republican Party and where you think the weight of it is with regard to uh, Russia and Ukraine. Could we talk a little bit about that, your sense sure. of it? Hugh Hewitt was saying he thinks the vast bulk of the Republican Party is pro-supporting Ukraine. And supporting Ukraine means a, a lot of different things to a lot of different people. I'm not sure that's entirely true, but I'd love your thoughts and analysis on it when we come right back. I'm Seth Leibson. He's George Kaloff. We'll be right back. Welcome back to The Seth Leibson Show. George Kaloff is our guest. Delighted to have him in studio. Good friend. Great political mind. George, um, he's, by the way, uh, managing partner at the Resolute Group uh, website, theresolute.group, uh, right? You have the Resolute.group. Yes. Um, Hugh Hewitt was making the case the other day or the point made the point the other day that the majority and he thinks it's a substantial majority in the Republican Party is supportive of defending Ukraine uh, to, to, uh, to the hilt. And I think that means different things to different people. I'm not sure if that's entirely true. I have I have I think we're at a I think we're at a very precarious point here with what's going on in Ukraine, uh, that it says the options are as good as they were with the Cuban Missile Crisis, and it might be even more dangerous and precarious than the Cuban Missile Crisis. Um, so my, 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 my views are, tend to be fairly holistic. I, I think we can't, we, we can't let Russia uh, accede or succeed, uh, and at the same time, there are a lot of serious questions to be asked, and I think that a lot of it goes to American leadership. But where is where would you get, gather that the yeah. Republican Party is on this? So I think in general— uh Republicans want to support freedom around the world, right? That's a general kind of starting at, at a hundred thousand foot theme. Yeah. That is generally agreed upon thing. Yeah. The vast majority, I think, for the points that you've highlighted, Ukraine dynamics a little bit more precarious because one, um, there's a lot of crises at home that's, right now. That's right. And I think it is reasonable to have a debate about the prioritization of dollars and the usage of dollars in an inflation crisis and continuing to send dollars and how those dollars are being utilized. That's a that's a reasonable disagreement to have. And people are having those disagreements in Washington. And it's not just isolationists, quote unquote, that don't want to send and only hawks that do want to send. It's much broader. No, DeSantis was putting the brakes on. He is not an isolationist. Yep, that's 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 specific. On the other hand, I don't think that it needs to be that, you know, that that we are all gung ho pro Russia because it's not like necessarily it's not like Russia or the ideals that Putin puts forward or anything close to freedom or American or Republican or conservative or anything. Right. So all those premises. Uh, but also from a geopolitical perspective, if this thing goes and it goes a super negative way 
Um, that is very dangerous. We're and very talking precarious. Poland and we're talking Taiwan. This isn't uh, this isn't just you know what happened with Iraq and Kuwait. I mean, right. you know, Iraq didn't have the capabilities right. of expanding it beyond their boundaries, more or less. This right. is why there's certain things, you know, in the theory and geopolitics, the mutually assured destruction. Mm-hmm. Why certain countries don't go to war, mm-hmm. like America and China going to war is you, you don't just go to war. Right. Like that's a big freaking right. deal. That's same you know. thing in this scenario. On the other hand, though, again, and I am someone who has a foreign policy viewpoint that says that. Hey, you have to project strength, which again is is a, is a central tenant of uh, the Republican Party, which is why we critique the the weaknesses that are being projected um, on behalf of the leadership right now. I think that led Joe to Biden. the invasion in the first place, quite frankly. Right, and what happened in August uh, with the pullout, August twenty twenty one, with the pullout from Afghanistan, right. that is a big deal because right. some of the art of war, so much of it is one prior to it even happening to avoid it from happening. It's to project strength, and so in this scenario, we projected weakness. They invaded. Now, okay, are you going to let them just take? country and then you know you argue well does this country want to be taken or not those are those are all super complicated topics but i don't think it's fair to just say point blank the vast majority uh, want support also because now the support's getting into the hundreds of millions closing yeah. on billions yeah. and it's very complicated then you get into well should is it being so, well spent by is the it way being well spent yeah. and now i know there's a very distinct there's cabinet ministers that are being let go right. because uh, by by president Zelensky in ukraine because they it came out that they were misusing funds right. so he understands Zelensky, i would say understands how precarious it is yeah. that if the world cuts him off that's difficult and again russia is an enemy of a lot of these countries that are engaging and it was an enemy for a long time in the united states but it has to be handled very well um and now you're seeing by the way china and russia flex their muscles together right. that is even more precarious right. because very distinctly right now we're in a very uh, sort of Cold War-ish dynamic with mm-hmm. China. Mm-hmm. And you put your finger on it, at least as I see it, the right way. I almost wonder if more support for Ukraine, whatever that means generally, would apply if we didn't have our own problems. If we didn't have the... So in some respects, I think Joe Biden invited this on by ignoring and neglecting the southern border. If we didn't have the illegal immigration problem... I see, I, my, my thesis is if we didn't have that problem and the spending and the crises that come along with it, there would be a lot more support for Joe Biden's policies toward Ukraine. Um, I think a lot of it is tone and tenor for his appreciation or lack thereof of what's going on in America yes. that has created a lot of the resistance or pushback to what he's trying yes. to accomplish in Ukraine if he knows what he's trying yeah, to accomplish. Yeah, and, and I have in the, the, the tone that I've been trying to advise people on, whether it's clients or just people that I, I talk to is we can be uh, in favor of questioning and in favor of pumping the brakes a little bit on some of the aid without having to be also anti-Ukraine and, and dismissive as if, oh, no, those people don't matter because they're not just here. Look, America has a long history of caring about people that are not here. Okay? Yeah, I know. I mean, 100%. Right. Right. We are, you know, we don't want to be the world's policemen, but the shining city on the hill and what we represent to democracy and freedom. And again, even to someone like myself as a Lebanese Christian. So we need to be very careful not to get dismissive, which is why I'm not in favor of just America locking ourselves in our borders and never looking to anything abroad. But um, be, because I agree with you, I think it's more a, uh, it's more a commentary on Biden's leadership and the lack of leadership, I should say, than it is necessarily on being uh, pro-Russia or being anti-Ukraine. That's not an appropriate, um, I think, uh, I think question to ask. It's like, why are we critical? It's because Joe Biden has botched so much here. Yeah, no, I think that's right. And that's why it's so precarious and so Cuban missile crisis to me. Ukraine is about Afghanistan. And if Ukraine goes, then I think we're going to be saying things like Poland and Taiwan are about Ukraine. So that's uh, the, the stakes, I think, are, are, are overwhelmingly unimaginable to what it would mean to our allies, both in NATO and in places like Taiwan and in pushing back against China, which I think we all as a party or movement agree is 
our country's greatest threat, and they're watching very closely right now. Anyway, uh, it's good to hear you on that point. Uh, We only have one segment left, and uh, maybe it's good that we save it for some of the most important things. It's a short one, but you were at the March March for Life here at the state capitol uh, yesterday. I'd love uh, when we come back for you to say a word or two about that. As I go to break, let me put in a word for our sponsors and friends at Y-Refi, which you've heard me talk a lot about. And if you still have questions about what it might mean to invest with them, they would love to put you in touch with any number of their highly satisfied customers in the Phoenix area who have invested with them and done very, very well. They also would like me to ask you how your IRA is doing. Would you like your IRA to be earning strong fixed interest rates and not be dependent on the stock market or the Fed? You can invest with Y-Refi through an IRA and other qualified funds, and you can keep your investment, including the high fixed interest rates you earn, tax-deferred. That's right. Your money can stay in your IRA, and you don't have to pay taxes on the income you earn. Check them out at invest. Yrefi.com. The word invest, the letter Y, R E F Y.com, or call them at 888 Yrefi34. George and I will be back with a concluding thought. We come into this segment, uh, in case you're listening on podcast and not hearing the music, with uh, the song We Built This City. Cities are built, the polis is built by its commitment to its values and its commitment to what it esteems, appreciates, what it likes, what it dislikes, what it honors, and what it dishonors. A few things could be more important than the vulnerable, the precious, uh, and, um, and, and our children and our youth and our unborn life. No one more valuable than that. And I think countries can be evaluated both by their financial ledgers but also their moral ledgers uh, and their commitment to uh, the most vulnerable. George, you uh, you were proud to march uh, yesterday at the March for Life. You're very committed to that cause. You want to say a word or two about it? I do. I do. This issue is uh, is a very important issue to me, and I know it's a it's an issue that's important to many. It's an issue that's also exceptionally controversial, and it's something that I've dedicated a, a good chunk of my career um, in trying to navigate. Uh, this march was different than in the last number of marches in, in that it was on a Thursday during the day versus Saturday morning. Um, I think part of that is just in the realization that the last 50 years have been defined by one court case, Roe, and that court case is no longer there. The next 50 years are going to be defined by something completely different. I think there's a lot of people in the broader movement that have been asking, well, what's next? Where do we go? I think there's a lot of people on the left that very clearly wanted to go in a direction, which is like we just saw in Ohio. They put forward similar to Michigan, which is um, which is more or less an ability to have abortions up until the moment of birth which is well out of step of the majority of Western and uh, Western nations Uh, in Arizona. We are preparing for a potential ballot measure like that. What does that look like? Uh, Something that's really been on my heart uh, in an event that we went to together uh, really is how are we serving women? I think that is the most important part. And I was so, so encouraged that the majority of booths that were there at the March were from service organizations, whether it was from pregnancy centers like choices or hands of hope or others, or whether it was, Uh, from organizations that serve women in different ways. Um, This movement isn't just about protecting the child in the womb. Of course it is, because the sanctity of life is is important. They are vulnerable, but the woman is vulnerable too. This is a very difficult moment uh, in a woman's life or in a man's life if... um, when uh, when a woman finds out that she's pregnant and what happens afterwards is critical. So many people come to, to come to that decision that is very difficult um, based on circumstances that they believe are not solvable or are, and are immovable. And it is frankly on our movement to help them solve them. 
to help come alongside women and to support them in those in those difficult times. And so we have a lot of work, but I am so encouraged with the direction that we're going in the state of Arizona and frankly, nationally. Uh, and I would just encourage folks to to be on the lookout to engage, even if this is an issue that that isn't your top issue. It is going to be a defining part of where our culture goes over these next um, 10, 20 years. Thank you, George. Thank you for your commitment to it and uh, your commitment to this ongoing commitment to this show and our audience. We love having you here. Folks, thank you for your commitment to this show and for spending a little bit of your day and your week and your afternoon with us. Take none of it or you for granted. It's a great privilege to be with you. want to wish you all a great weekend. David, thank you for running things uh, as you have done today, doing a great job. Until Monday, I'm Seth Liebson. God bless you all, and class is dismissed.